Today, I want us to look at at Christ's vision for us. Uh, Before we ever unpack what's the vision for Renfrew, we've got to kind of package a few things. And really, Christ's vision for us is pretty simple. It's It's a unified family. The night before Jesus died on the cross, he was with his 12 friends. We know the friends, the disciples. They've been training for many years. And they're at the place where they're having the Passover meal together. For three and a half years, Jesus walked. He trained them. During the Passover meal, Jesus redefined something that was from the Old Testament with a new meaning. And the new meaning we will celebrate in a couple weeks. Right on Thanksgiving, it's awesome. Communion. The Lord's Supper. During the Lord's Supper... Uh, A scene happened, Judas suddenly leaves the room, he's going to betray Jesus, he's going to have him arrested. So Jesus is wrestling through with his disciples, here's my last words, here's what I want you to remember. Maybe you've had that privilege of being with someone when they're dying, they have some last words for you. And so Jesus is sharing his most intimate thoughts in this passage. I want to encourage you with something this week. I want you to read John 13 through 17. So just read a chapter a day. It's not hard. You'll actually enjoy the story. There's some great spiritual truth that I would love to unpack, but we would be here for a few days and all of us have to work. And so today, what I want to do is just kind of run around with these two themes and they're going to come on the screen John 13 through 17 just talks about this. How much does Jesus love us? And how much we must love each other in the church? There's the two things. His last message just really had to do with, guys, I really love you, and you guys have to love each other in the church. In fact, love is mentioned 21 times. Let me just show you a few examples from this John 13 through 17. John 15, 9, it says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now stay, remain in my love. John 15, verse 12 and 13 says this, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you, as I have shown you, We've heard this verse a thousand times. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one of his friends. Jesus calls us friends. John 15, verse 17, that theme's continued. It goes, this is my command, love each other. Now, I could keep unpacking 21 different times. You don't want to hear that this morning. But Jesus keeps coming back to the same theme, love each other. Now, after Jesus shared his final words, he, he, he prayed a very public prayer before going to the cross. The prayer is in John 17. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, I'll give you lots of time. Turn to John chapter 17. Jesus laying out his vision for us, his family, his church, his friends. John 17, verse 1 and 2 says this. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Hear the anguish in this prayer. Father, the hour has come. 
glorify, maybe protect, show your son so that your son may glorify you. Jesus just reiterating what his whole mission was for his life. Verse 2, for you granted me authority over all the people that I may give eternal life to all those who have been given to Jesus. Stay there. In the the first eight verses of Jesus' prayer in John 17, he's walking through like a report. (laughs) Father, look at all these things that I've done with the disciples in the last three and a half years. And then in verse 9, he prays for his disciples. And this is the transition. Verse 9, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those you have given me. They are yours. All I have is yours. And all you have is mine, and the glory has come to me through them. Verse 11, I'm going to remain in the world no longer, but my friends are in the world. Father, I'm coming home to you. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. May they be the same, Father, as we are. What was on Jesus' mind as he got ready to go to the cross was his own family, the church, and that we would be united in love after he died and rose again. He mentioned it several times in this prayer. Verse 20 and 21, he's saying it again. My my prayer is not for them by themselves. I pray for those who will believe in me because of their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and me are in the same place. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Christians, Christ followers, my friends, prove that we are who we are by being one with each other. Jesus said that again, just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us and the world will believe that you sent me. If something else had been so important to Jesus, believe me, he would have mentioned it in that prayer. I don't have time to show you all the verses that talk about unity in scripture, but I will tell you this. The New Testament talks more about protecting unity among Christians than it ever has to say about heaven or hell. In a couple weeks, we're going to look at how do we actually fulfill Christ's vision for us. But today I want to talk about just unity. Here's the very first one. My unity with other believers shows the world that I'm a Christian. My unity with other believers shows the world that I am saved. John 13, verse 34 and 35, we've heard this. A new command I give you, love each other. As I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you follow me. The Bible says that the proof that we're really a Christian is that you love other Christians in the church family. Well, here's the second one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is the model for unity. The Trinity is our model. John 17, verse 11, it says this, I can't remain in the world any longer, but they're still in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. 
The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are in harmony and unity with each other. Friends in the church, we're called to be unified as one. All right, stay with me. Here's the third one. Jesus' last request to the Father was that we would live in unity. John 17, verse 21, it says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus is saying other people will believe when they see Christians loving each other in unity. This is Jesus' vision, Jesus' goal for you and me. All right, the fourth one that Jesus talks about, the purpose of God's presence in your life. The purpose of God's power that's working in you is to make you more loving. God gives us his glory so that you and I will be unified. God gives us his glory so that we as Christians will be unified. Verse 22 of that John 17 says it. It says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are in one. Guess what? This isn't more harsh, more opinionated, more stubborn. It's more loving. Do you want God's glory in your life? Do you want God's power in your life? Do you want to feel God's presence more in your life? Jesus says he gives his glory, his power, to those who lay aside secondary differences with other Christians. The fifth one, our unity God says, is our greatest witness to unbelievers. Verse 23 again in that John 17. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world, don't glaze past this, the world will know, not should know, might know, hopefully they'll know. They will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the second time, just in this small passage, that Jesus connects the unity of Christians to winning the world for Christ. Another way of saying it is this. If unbelievers like what they do see, they'll listen to what we say. But if they don't like what they see, they don't see us loving each other, they're not going to listen to what we have to say. In other words... The first church in Acts implemented, applied, practiced all the verses we just looked at. Now, let's jump into Acts to see the next things about unity. Here's what unity does in a church. It always removes fear and it creates boldness. A unified church gives everyone more than enough power, more than enough courage more so than a divided church. Acts 4, 24, and then verse 31. It's going to be on your screen. It says this. Dennis is working overtime today. There's a ton of slides. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then this is verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. When we pray together as a church, it unifies us. And it says after this prayer, this unified prayer of all the people in the church, the building that they met in shook. 
because they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Friends, myself included, would you like to be more fearless? Does fear plague us? Does insecurity plague us? Does anxiety plague us? Would you like to be more fearless? Would you like to be more bold? Do you wish that you had some more confidence to share your faith? Let me give you a little secret. Focus on your unity with other Christians. Division always creates fear. Unity removes fear. Division creates fear. Whenever you find division in a church, it creates fear in that church. But unity always removes fear. Division destroys unity. The seventh one, when a church is unified, everyone's needs are met. We find that example, that famous example in Acts chapter 4 where it says, all the believers, everyone was in one heart and mind. No one claimed anything of their own. They shared everything. In fact, they shared so much that nobody had any needs. This was so impressive for non-Christians in Jerusalem that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, it says that they enjoyed the favor of all people because they saw how they loved each other. So let's for a minute move away from Jesus and that new church and look at Paul. Because Paul spends a lot of time talking about the importance of unity. The eighth one. A visible sign of unity in a church is baptism and communion. Let me explain. Both of them visualize that now we don't just belong to Jesus, we belong to each other. If you've been baptized, if you've taken communion, you don't just belong to Jesus, you belong to all of us. Everyone else in the family of God. Baptism is a sign that we need to protect the unity of the church, of the family that I belong to. 1 Corinthians 12, verse Uh, Chapter 12, verse 12 and 13 says this, Just as one body has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Jesus. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether we're Jews or slaves, we're Gentiles, we're slave or free, we're all given the same one spirit to drink. Yes, we're different, but we form one body. We've all been baptized into Christ's body by the same spirit. He says no matter what our cultural background is, our racial background, doesn't matter what our church history is, doesn't matter what our national background is, doesn't matter what political party we like or dislike, we're unified with every other Christian. Paul points it out this way, that it's not just baptism, but it's also communion that's a sign of unity. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we gave thanks participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf. Yes, that's in the NIV, loaf. We, who are many, are one body, for we all share the same loaf. By the way, let me point this out. The Bible also says that we shouldn't take communion if we're out of unity with anyone else in our church family. The Bible says we actually eat judgment on ourselves. All right, there's just a few more. Number nine, 
Focusing on our common purpose is what creates unity. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says this, I appeal, just hear Paul's words, I appeal to you brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus, that we all agree with one another in what we say and that there's no divisions among you, that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. He's talking to people that were church members. Start argue, stop arguing among yourselves. It doesn't matter what you're arguing about, just stop arguing. Paul is saying this, be full of purpose, be full of strategy as a church. Don't be program-driven, don't be pressure-driven, don't be power-driven, don't be pleasure-driven, don't be popularity-driven, don't be personality-driven, don't be politic-driven. Be united in purpose. Number 10, unity always begins when we realize we're incomplete without each, with, without each other. We need each other. God wired us in such a way that no one gets all the gifts. I don't have them all, and you don't have them all. That's why we need each other. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, there should be no division in the body, but each part should have equal concern for each other. Yeah, we've got different gifts, we've got different backgrounds, we've got different sizes and shapes, we've got different genders, but we're one body. The Christian church... Renfrew Baptist Church is a place of all places where there should be equality and justice. We are to care for each other equally. Not to show preference, not to show prejudice, not to show bias. There can be no division in the body. Friends, this is your job. It's not just my job. It's your job as a Christian to protect the unity of your family and your church family. The Bible talks about removing anyone who creates division and disunity and ensure that your brothers and sisters are treated equally. Now related to that same passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27, it says, If someone suffers, everybody, not some, everybody suffers. If one part is honored, it says every part rejoices with it. You are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Not individually, you are the body of Christ. You're not the body of Christ by yourself. I'm not the body of Christ by myself. So when someone is suffering, we need to be empathetic. And when someone is going through pain, we need to be empathetic. When someone's hurting, we need to be empathetic. When someone's frustrated, we need to be empathetic. The more empathetic I am, the more I'm going to be able to build the unity of the church. Here's the 11th. Jesus died to unite us, not to divide us. He died to reconcile us, not to divide us. Ephesians 2.16 says, And in one body to reconcile both of them, to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Do you catch that? Jesus died on the cross to end hostility. He reconciled us. He united all the different kinds of people into one body. In fact, in Ephesians, it says, we're a new race together, 
I love how the Living Bible puts it. Ephesians 2.16, the feud ended at the cross. The feud ended at the cross. And then the last one. And this is the most important. Jesus expects me to work hard at unifying Christians. If you claim to be a Christian, this is part of your job description. Ephesians 4, Paul wrote, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's a pretty direct statement from God's Word. One day we're going to stand before God and He'll say, Did you actually do that, Matt? Did you make an effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in your church family? Did you bind yourself together with everyone else to live in peace with each other? Friends, unfortunately, we're not known for what I'm talking about today. If we were to take a survey to go out downtown Calgary and ask a thousand people on the street, what do you think of first when you think of being a born-again Christian? What do you think the number one answer would be? I seriously doubt if we asked a thousand people that anyone would say, man, those guys really love each other. They really, really, really love each other. Friends, that's what we're known for. It's the one thing that Jesus wants us to be known for. I think the one thing that Jesus wants us to be known for wouldn't even make the list. So, I want you to memorize this next passage of Scripture with me from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. Whatever happens, whatever comes our way, let's conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, the good news. Then whether I come and see you or I only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, so that we won't be frightened in any way by those who oppose us. In a couple weeks, we're going to look at the practical ways that God wants us to implement Christ's vision for us. Jesus is still waiting for us to be the answer to his prayer 2,000 years later. Jesus is still waiting for us to be the one to answer his prayer that he prayed that we would be one. That the world would look at the church and go, man, those people love each other. That subject was the utmost in his mind. As he was getting ready to go to the cross and deal with that agony, all his thought was, was, God, man, I pray my children would be unified. That they would defend each other, not criticize each other. That they would love each other and not argue with each other. That the family of God would model love. That we wouldn't be divided over secondary issues. That we would make our allegiance to each other the priority above everything else. You see, Satan hates the unity of the church. He hates the unity of any Christian because the unified church is unstoppable. Colossians 2, Paul says this in verse 2, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may know the full riches of a complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. Friends, one day we're going to get to heaven. We're going to stand before God and God's going to ask me, God's not going to ask me, how much money did I make? God's not going to ask me, Matt, how much education did you get? God's not going to ask me, 
Did you convert anyone to your side of the COVID fence? God's not going to ask me, who did I vote for? He's not going to ask me any of that. God's not even going to ask me, did you enjoy your retirement? What God's going to ask me is, Matt, did you learn? Did you learn to love your brothers and sisters in my family, even those who don't agree with you? Did you learn to love the members of the family who were different than you? You see, the church, Renfrew Baptist Church, is the laboratory for learning how to love. It's how we are to practice learning how to really love. Because we don't do it very well. Nobody teaches us how to really love. But the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, if we don't have love, we're nothing. See, love is what holds all together in perfect unity. So this week, join me in this adventure of reading John 13 through 17. Because it'll help us understand what's Christ's vision for us and for the church. Let's pray. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. God, if you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. We love and adore you. We ask all this in your most powerful name. Amen.